Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Jamie Durant, sitting in for Ryan Cryle this week, and I did have a nice tidy script all prepared for today's episode. And then Aberdeen went and did a thing last night. Um, after eight years in charge, Derek McInnes and his assistant Tony Doherty have left the Dons. Club in statement indicated Chairman Dave Cormack and McInnes had agreed it was the right time for him to step down, with European football still to be secured and a summer rebuild around the corner. While McInnes had delivered European football on a consistent basis and the League Cup in 2014, fan discontent had been growing after a prolonged period of disappointing performances and unattractive football. Paul Sheeran, aided by Barry Robson and Neil Simpson, will lead the team for the remainder of the season, while Cormack and the Aberdeen board hunt for a successor. So, to digest and discuss all this news, I'm joined by the terrific duo of Sean Wallace and Callum Law. How are we, gentlemen? Good, thanks. Aye, fine. So, where, where do you guys want to start? What was your, what was your initial reaction uh, when the news kind of broke yesterday evening? I wouldn't say surprise. It was, I mean, I think there was a sense of disappointment that, I was, that there was finally an end to this either, but... It was almost an inevitability about it because, I mean, the results and stats had been shocking since the turn of the year. I mean, one one goal in nine games, just not good enough. There was signs of a, a sort of recovery, but performances don't bring points. It's goals and wins that they need, and they just weren't forthcoming. What I was surprised about was that there's no replacement coming in and in the meantime they're going to have the that interim management in place until the end of the season which leaves the, the replacement when he does come in with a hard task in the summer because it's a huge rebuilding job with a lot of players out of contract and ideally I thought the best scenario would have been to get the manager in a quick replacement so he can come in and assess the squad get a feel for things before they go into next season. I would agree with a lot of what Sean said there, just picking up on what you're saying about this sort of replacement. I think, I know it obviously takes time and you want to get the appointment right, but I think even if you were getting somebody in and it was only for, say, the last couple of games, it gives them a chance to look at things and see what they're working with and there's nine players, albeit Shea Logan has an option of another year, but there's nine players out of contract this summer and there's another four whose loans are expiring. So having somebody there to actually see what they want to do and the decisions they want to make would be beneficial. In terms of Derek McInnes' departure, things have obviously been really bad. I mean, it's Recently, it's two wins in 13 and five goals across those 13 games, which is, can, if you look at the form table, I think other than, Kilmar- other than Kilmarnock, Aberdeen are propping up the the form table for 2021 for the Scottish Premiership, which is bad. But the timing of it, I kind of find slightly strange, De- particularly in light of... Uh, no replacement coming in. It's only a month since Dave Cormack came out and publicly backed Derek McInnes is still the right man for the job and here we are now and he's been, him and Tony Doherty have been removed from their positions. I mean, so even since then, obviously, there's sort of been, this has been 
brewing, but if there's no if there's nobody coming in in a month ago, Derek McInnes was still the right man. I kinda feel can Derek McInnes what he's done as well had the credit in the bank to potentially be allowed to to finish the season and then you could have a wider review in the summer uh how th- how things are and whether you want to make a change because ultimately as they said in their statement third place is still there to play for and the Scottish Cup's still there to play for so can as bad as the form has been I think he could make the case that Derek McInnes was still due that or deserved the chance to at least finish the season yeah, I agree with Callum there. I think he should have been given a chance to finish the season. I mean, there's only six Premiership games left. There's only three points behind Hibs. Still to play them at the Toddy post-split. Now got the Scottish Cup in the mix. I just felt, if, if you're going to make a change, you should have done it in the summer. And when, when they did eventually make the change, I mean, they've got the window. It's not a game until Dundee United on the 20th. Then you've got the international break and they're not playing again until the weekend of the 10th and 11th of April post-split. So that's almost a month with just one game. So you would think if they are going to get a management team in, why why wait until the summer? You've got almost a month of a window to get someone in where you've only got the one game where you've got an interim management team. That's that's exactly my... <laughs> sorry, I was just going to say, that's exactly the the point I would agree with you on, Sean. It's like if you're not going to try and bring somebody in before the end of the season, I think you'd have been better st- sticking with Derek McInnes because the interim management team, they all know the club playing and coaching there, she- Paul Sheeran, Barry Robson and Neil Simpson... But if you're asking me, do I think they have a better chance of finishing third and winning the Scottish Cup than with Derek McInnes in charge? My answer would be no. So it's a it's a bit of a b- bizarre one on that front, I think. But I mean, there's a delay until the summer. And if I wasn't just a month or two, well, two months until the end of the season, I could be a, a legitimate argument that they're waiting potentially for a target that's in a job but is it going to make any difference the compensation that would be required now as to the summer if you want to get a manager in from another team I just think if you make if you make such a a hard decision then you've got to have something in place to go in immediately rather than sort of drag it out over the interim I think the obviously the counterpoint perhaps from the from the board's point of view is obviously that like Callum mentioned that obviously Dave Cormack had come out last month and kind of publicly backed backed McInnes to to be the man to kind of do the job. But there's obviously kind of things he's seen or maybe not seen in the performances since then that have indicated that the that he maybe doesn't believe that they can secure um third place and a potential silverware with McInnes in charge because I think we've we've all seen kind of Aberdeen of late and there's not been any kind of noticeable improvement in performances over the recent games. It's been a lot of the same stuff, which that's maybe what's kind of persuaded them to do it. Maybe just to kind of a fresh voice with the kind of the coaching staff that they've got kind of leading things going forward might give them a little bit of a boost over the kind of the final six league games. And I would imagine there would be a list of candidates they've got in mind. And I think they would be very naive if they hadn't sounded out 
one or two people that even if they're not officially in the role before the end of the season can start making their own plans as to what they would want to do when when they kind of come in in the in the summer i think that would be i think that would be a sensible way to do it and i would like to think that's what's what's maybe happened behind the scenes i know it's all kind of happened kind of fairly quickly over the last 24 hours but you would like to think that the chairman is and the board have been sounding out potential candidates for it yeah i'm sure they have but my issue is why wait another two three months when if you have been sounding out people just make the move now exactly i mean that and the counterpoint just um play devil's advocate a wee bit here i think if given the the period of time in which this has been brewing and it's obviously come to a head this week and the change has been made but given the length of time that this has been brewing if Dave Cormack and the board don't have two or three or four people in mind that they think would be a good fit or that they think would like to go and try and get then I think that would be uh, if they don't have that that would be quite concerning quite frankly if you if the the change has been made and there's not any real direction in terms of the, the next step. Well, it's the hat say, like you said, they've still got another 10 days or so before the, the next game against Dundee United. And there's then the five games after the split and the Scottish Cup. So there's, there's still quite a bit to, to play for. And it is a gamble, I think, that they have taken before the end of the season. Um, obviously, over the last few weeks, McInnes has, has maybe had. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if this is this is fair. Though you guys might be able to tell me. But has he kind of had the the air of of someone who's kind of is maybe accepting that things are coming to to an end? I, I think in my dealings with McInnes in the, the last few weeks, I think it, it felt a bit like a weight had been lifted off his shoulders. He seemed a bit more relaxed. I don't know if. He'd maybe came to terms with the fact that he was unlikely to be here next season. Uh, but it's, it's a difficult one because obviously they didn't have that, that conversation until uh, Monday when it was transpired that he would be leaving. But he, he did seem to be a, a bit more relaxed, which is a different, different, as relaxed as you can be when your team are on such a horrendous run. He just didn't seem to be crushed by his weight anymore. I would, not that I've had as many dealings uh, recently as you, Sean, but I would agree with what you're saying. I think uh, most people, not just Eric McInnes, but most observers looking at the situation would probably probably felt that in the summer a a change, unless... Can things turned around and the Dons went and won the Scottish Cup or whatever. Unless that happened, I think most people thought, felt that a change was probably coming in the summer. And, I, and as you say, maybe Derek McInnes had, had come to terms with that. And t- in terms of his his record, I mean, I think kind of if you look at the Bear statistics and look at his tenure as a whole, there's no doubt, in my opinion, that Aberdeen have regressed and they're not as good a side as they were earlier in his tenure. There's a number of factors that I'm sure we'll get on to as to 
to why that is. But I do I do think still as much and as much as I can understand the the reasons for wanting a change, I do it can it's still a gamble to an extent, especially at this at this point, because uh rightly or wrongly, you know what you were getting out of De- Derek McInnes and Tony Doherty in their side. Admittedly, recently, not very much, but as we've sort of said, there was still scope for things to improve this season. Could I see it happening? Probably not, but you you never know. The thing is, I mean, that game at the weekend against Hamilton, they could easily have been 3-0 up at half-time. They created such clear chances. I mean, all it takes is that one win, get a bit of momentum, the attackers get get some more confidence, and then they could have went on a run. But it's just that those such fine margins. But I I believe that the start of this slope, this towards McInnes's exit, was when Marley Watkins got injured in the Scottish Cup semi final. Because with Watkins in that attack, they looked far more potent. They looked dangerous. He was tying everything up, and. I remain convinced that if Watkins had remained on his own spell, then if that had been extended, I think Aberdeen would have finished third at a canter because Hibs had been so inconsistent as well. But that was a, a hammer blow to Aberdeen. And as soon as he was ruled out, they just lost all sort of cohesion and cutting edge in attack. And that is why Aberdeen have failed to score in so many games I mean he took Florey and Camberry in to try and fix that and he took three he took another two strikers in in the transfer window on deadline day which to me smacked a desperation not on McInnes's part because he needs to be given a green light to get these players but it just seemed too little too late and they didn't have enough time to gel in and it was too late it's interesting what you say there, Sean, because I suppose if we go back, I know it's a lo- long time, but if we go back five months to the... Um, Wait to say Adam Rooney. No, 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 no. Uh, in fact, I've got my... my, my no, I am. No, I've got my sums wrong, actually. If we go back four months, sorry, to the be- beginning of November, and there was that Scottish Cup semi-final against Celtic, which ultimately they lost... They were right in the tails of Celtic in second place in the league, and they then got dumped out of the League Cup by St Mirren. It's like the decline from that beginning of November period to where one where things are now has been really stark. And I mean, I it's Watkins is one thing, but I think there has to be uh, other factors in, involved in that. Is as well because really from the, the optimism that there was at the beginning of the season to the sort of negativity that there is now, it's incredible the change in terms of the recruitment side of it what was bizarre I think as well about January was it was quite, Sam Cosgrove obviously left and it, the club came out and said and Derek said it that they were expecting him to leave, albeit they were also expecting it to be late in the window, which it was. But I know that there's things are 
tight financially as well because of the pandemic. But sure, to me, surely if they were expecting Cosgrove to go at some point in the window, plans could have been in place to have a stri- sign a striker, a striker beforehand, or have one that they could go and get straight away as soon as Cosgrove left, rather than scrambling about on deadline day for three signings. Because the other thing as well that you meant in terms of the players assigned, it was another, what, week and a half before Florian Camberry was able, even able to train uh, Waberdeen because of work permit issues. So, and that, I mean, can there was, it just seemed, and especially looking at with hindsight, the way the recruitment went in January with Scott Wright leaving as well as part of the McCrory deal, which again was probably expected. The way it was done, it just seemed like a sort of trying to find a short term fix, like putting a wee plaster over a gaping axe wound. You know what I mean? It was, Ken, it doesn't look like it's going to solve the problem if you if you get the, the drift of my metaphor well to, to pick up on your metaphor that gaping axe wound is just going to fester in, in, in the summer is it because there's no there'll be no permanent striker signed that's a huge ask for the, the new manager to come in and get a striker that's going to deliver goals I mean you've got the three lone strikers and I agree with Calm again I mean it's a last-minute move to get these three guys on board, and none of them had played regular football or scored for their parent clubs. And then you can't just expect them to come in and hit the ground running and in the Scottish top flight and deliver these goals. It would take a time for them to gel in. And, I mean, that was primarily why Fraser Hornby he got his thigh injury. It's overstretching when shooting. I mean, he, he just wasn't fully conditioned from game time. And that is a result of coming in as a last-minute signing. Well, it'll certainly be a, a kind of a busy period, I would imagine, for, for the Aberdeen coaching staff and whatnot over the next 10 days to get themselves ready for for an unexpected kind of thrust into the limelight against uh, against Dundee United. Um, that's it for part one of the podcast on part two we will discuss the highs and lows of the eight years that Derek McInnes had in charge welcome to part two of this week's Northern Goal Uh, in this part of the podcast we're going to discuss the highs and lows of Derek McInnes's eight years in charge given his given his tenure there's inevitably been a lot that's uh, a lot that's gone on and we're going to start with kind of the the highs of the of the last eight years. I mean, obviously the 2014 League Cup success is the one that probably probably stands out, I would imagine, for, for most Aberdeen fans. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 19 years without a trophy and in his first full season at Aberdeen, McInnes delivered one. Yeah, I mean, it was an atrocious game, but strangely enough, when I was covering it, it didn't feel like that bad a game because you were just on a knife edge there the entire time but I'm sure for the neutral it was an absolute stinker but they got a job done and I, I mean I, I can remember the, the homecoming parade and like 100,000 people parking out Union Street and it did seem like this would be the first of a few cups to come to Petaudry and then that momentum carried on and they got to the Scottish Cup semi-final 
that season and I think it was a 1-0 up at halftime against St. Johnston. And you, you felt, you genuinely felt this team could go on and do the double year. But then it all, it all sort of fell apart in the second half when Stevie May got on the score sheet. But I mean, McInnes will leave a legacy of delivering that League Cup. But I think he leaves that a legacy of far much more than that. He made Aberdeen a force again in Scotland. I mean, it might have slipped down a, a little, but people should remember that prior to his arrival, Aberdeen had finished ninth in the table three seasons on the bounce. And I can remember, I can also remember going to cover those bottom six games, just like a, it's like a wasteland where... <laughs> The matches mean nothing because they weren't they weren't in a fight against the allegation. <laughs> and again, it's just playing out a season for nothing. And at least every season McInnes has been here, there's always been meaningful games post-split and they've delivered Europe every season. So I would say the League Cup success and Europe, that's the highlights for me. I would agree with a lot of what you've said there, Sean. I think when you assess the job Derek McInnes has done, firstly, he gave, and a lot of people maybe might not be feeling this at the moment and supporters unhappy with how things have been, but Derek McInnes gave the Aberdeen fans the pride back in their football club. If you look at the period or the last 30 years since... Alex Smith and Jockey Scott left Aberdeen. Aside from a couple of seasons under Willie Miller where they were competitive at the top end of the league, a League Cup success under Roy Aitken, which without wishing to be too critical, was a bit of a flash in the pan amongst a sea of mediocrity. And then a spell under Jimmy Calderwood where they were more competitive in the top six and had a good run in Europe. Aside, aside from that, no, no, those sort of brief glimpses of high points, nobody since Alex Smith and Jockey Scott has delivered the consistency and the can Aberdeen and had Aberdeen as a force really at the top end of Scottish football until Derek McInnes arrived as manager. I mean, Sean, you mentioned that League Cup final as someone who wasn't working at the time, but was watching the game and wasn't a neutral, it was an absolutely honking game. You can't, uh, you can't, there's no dispute about that, but ultimately they got the, they got the job done. I do think that was a huge, given the length of time, that was a huge burden lifted from the club because even if I go back, look back to when Jimmy Calderwood was manager, Aberdeen had chances to go and win cups and because of the time it had been it seemed like the when it came to the crunch they couldn't quite cope with the expectation that was there with quarterfinals and semi-finals that were lost under Derek McInnes they coped with that expectation and they won the cup I mean the thing is as well that final 43,000 Aberdeen fans at Celtic Park could you imagine the atmosphere if they'd have lost that final it would have been as a huge Huge pressure on that day, ultimately. I do think uh, the fa- being unable to build 
on that cup success in terms of more trophies is has been a disappointment. And I think Derek McInnes would say that himself. Yes, they've run into very good Celtic teams when they've been close, but over the last eight years, Aberdeen have also lost in cup competitions to St. Johnston, Dundee United, Dundee, Hearts twice, Motherwell twice, Hibs when they were in the Championship and this season to St. Mirren in the League Cup. So there has been, you know, it hasn't just been constantly not getting the job done against Celtic. There has been opportunities there that that haven't been taken ultimately. But just, to, I kind of rambled on, but in terms of in the league, while they have regressed since 2018 in terms of their consistency and their finishes, to have a lowest finish a fourth, and they're currently sitting fourth in eight years in charge, is ultimately a good, a good record with four se- second place finishes in there as well. For for me as well, it, it's the uh, Premiership campaign of 2015-16 when they started off with uh, eight successive league wins. And for the first time, well, since like nearly 50, well, 20 years, genuinely felt like Aberdeen were in a title, title this. And they continued that. I mean, it wasn't like it was a flash in the pan. I mean, when they beat Kilmarnock in March, mid-March, they were only one point behind Celtic, although the Parkhead sided a game in hand. I mean, it was definitely game on for a title race. And I keep going back to that in my mind that season because I think it was such a wasted opportunity. I mean, Adam Rooney got injured. I think he'd he'd taken in Simon Church to partner Rooney. I think that was the plan to maybe push for that title. And ultimately, it didn't work out. But it just collapsed so badly in the the post-split games. And that season... Ronnie Dyla and Celtic were there for the taking. And that was, it was like that sliding door moment when if they had grabbed that opportunity, you've got Champions League football and the teams Celtic played to get into the group stages weren't particularly that beyond Aberdeen. And if they had got to group stages, you're talking about like 20, 30 million quid I mean, games against Man City, it's just, there's so much that could have happened, but didn't. And I just think, if that if they'd seized on that opportunity, it would have been such a different few years for Aberdeen. It could have taken them to another level. And maybe they wouldn't, they'd back to the Rangers dominance now, the previous Celtic dominance, maybe... I mean, it's a big maybe, but maybe Aberdeen, if they had won the title, got to Champions League, they might have been able to stop that and have a, a consistent voice in Scottish football at the very top. So do those near misses, do they kind of come in as probably the the low points of the McInnes era, given, say, you had the opportunity in 2016, you've had the three cup finals, albeit coming up against a Celtic team that were in a kind of period of like era defining dominance under under Brendan, Brendan Rogers or do you look at other things maybe like the continued striving to get into the European sorry the Europa League group stages or like particularly of late like the the kind of the brand of, of football that's kind of that's obviously drawn a lot of ire from from supporters I mean what what do you see as the kind of the big 
the big drawback of the of the McInnes era. To to me, Jamie finishing second in particular, they fin- did it a f- four seasons running, but finishing second isn't a low point. Even in the fifteen sixteen season, where it was a missed opportunity, I don't think you can say it was a low point because they still finished second. I think the thing that's also overlooked not to dwell on it too much about that season, not just Adam Rooney's injury, but Danny Ward was recalled by Liverpool in the January window, and Scott Brown and then Adam Collin was signed as the backup replacement, and they were decent enough goalkeepers, but they weren't the same in the same class as Danny Ward, and Aberdeen never looked as solid defensively after his departure that season, in my opinion. I mean, in terms of low points, those while there's been some great moments on the way getting to them, all the cup finals that they've lost are low points, in my opinion, because as good as it is to get to cup finals, nobody remembers them fondly if you lose them. It's like the the Scottish Cup final in 2017... At least the thing I would say about that is, at least on the day Aberdeen gave it a go, and they performed, and they had they took the game to Celtic when they could, and there was that infamous Johnny Hayes, Kenny McLean two on one. If they'd worked that out, the Dons could have won the cup. But the other two League Cup finals, in particular the twenty sixteen League Cup final, they just didn't perform at all, and to me. The three nil that three nil game, they just barely other than one chance early on for Andy Constein that I can still see in my head, they barely laid a glove on Celtic that day. I think that was a low point. Europe while it's been great to be in Europe for Aberdeen with that consistency, to not get beyond the third qualifying round, having reached that stage on six occasions is a definite disappointment of the Derek McInnes era as well. Some of the ties have been difficult, but there's a couple to me that stuck out like as much as they were spending big money. Kyra Almaty were there for the taking. Maribor over the two games, I think Aberdeen outplayed them and still managed to find a way to lose 2-1 in aggregate. So it's just, I think things like, I mean, it wouldn't, there's no, you get through that, there's no guarantee of getting to the group stages, but I think those things stick out. And the last thing I was going to say, entertaining football is something that's been bandied around a lot. Ultimately, entertaining football is one thing, but people want winning football. If you're, our Aberdeen is entertaining to watch now as in previous seasons under Derek McInnes. No, they're not. I wouldn't dispute that. But at the same time, there have been periods, even when Aberdeen were finishing second in the Premiership, where they perhaps weren't great to watch, but they found a way to win games. I think the problem that Derek McInnes has had and Aberdeen have had this season and even last season was that Games, and we'll look at the number of nil-nils this season, particularly at home. Games that previ- in previous years, they found a way to win. Whether it was Ken, Adam Rooney, Niall McGinn, Johnny Hayes, whoever it was. So they found a way to win a lot of games by one goal. And that 
winning and finishing where they finished meant that I think a lot of the time how those results were achieved was perhaps overlooked. But now, ultimately, if you look at the re- the run this season, they haven't been winning enough games, and that's the problem. And that's been the problem. The the one that really sticks out for me, which showed the the different Aberdeens, was the the two ties against Ayeka. I mean, they went over to Croatia, beat them three 0 and I mean they hadn't been beaten on their home turf for more than a year. I mean, even Sevilla, the Europa League holders couldn't beat them. And Aberdeen were absolutely phenomenal in that tie. I mean, granted, they should have been down early on when Vajeka hit a post. But I mean, that was a real highlight under McInnes. And it was a vibrant team then. And then fast forward a couple of years to last season when they played Vajeka. And when when last season started... I thought, oh, Aberdeen are looking good. I could see them potentially getting some success. But then uh, the two performances against Ayeka, particularly the second leg at Batodri, that was major warning bells going off in my head. I was, I'd say that as the worst performance I've, I'd seen by uh, Derek McInnes side. It was absolutely woeful. And it just, just that showed that it had been that slow slide so for me, Vayeka sums up everything about Aberdeen over the last couple of years. I have, I have to say on that Rijeka game, Sean, from working at it, never have I seen or felt the atmosphere drain out of a stadium so quickly as that night. For within the first 10 minutes, from going to like basically a packed out Pataudry believing that the Dons could turn that tie round to within 10 minutes. It was absolutely toxic. Unbelievable. The other wee one I was going to pick out actually is a low point. 2017-18 season. The finished second again, split Rangers and Celtic again, which was a good achievement in the league. But the Cups, ultimately they would have ended up playing Celtic and both of them, but the Cups that season performance they were major low points. Getting beat 3-0 twice by Motherwell in the cup competitions that season was, I think, another missed opportunity, perhaps. And I think the if we speak about potential decline, as we've touched on as well, I think if you look at the old the record Aberdeen have had in the league against Celtic and Rangers over the past, well, this season included the past three seasons, the Dons have won just one of their last 20 league fixtures against Celtic and Rangers, which is another statistic which doesn't reflect well on the team, the club, and Derek McInnes ultimately, because although Celtic and Rangers have greater financial clout, if you will, uh, previously Aberdeen had been able to, and had shown they'd be able to put Chat compete with them and beat them on their day, but one win in the last 20 league games against Celtic and Rangers is a, a pretty damning statistic as well. A, a highlight for me when you talk about Celtic and Rangers was the 2018-19 season when Aberdeen knocked Rangers out of both cups, did it at Hamden and then at Ibrox. I mean, that showed it could be done, but yet again, they come up against Celtic in the next stage and are knocked out. It was just too often that happened. But 
I'll, I'll always remember those two games and just the, the sheer joy it brought to Aberdeen fans because it did. It, it, you genuinely thought then this might be their season, but no, it wasn't to be. So what what kind of legacy have we got here from from McInnes? And what is what's the kind of the lasted impacts at Aberdeen? Is it that they're no longer a bottom six club and they're a team that's now expected to be perennial European contenders? Yeah, definitely. I mean, third, since in the eight years McInnes has been at the club, third is now perceived as the minimum requirement. I mean, if you get third, say, like, okay, that's what you should be requiring. Anything above it is success. Anything below, failure. So that is the level he has helped take them up to. As I said before, when you remember that prior to his arrival, Aberdeen had been regular finishers in the bottom six. European football, I mean, seven years in succession. It looked like they're going to get it again. As part of our legacy as well, we've also got to remember Cormark, Cormark Park. I mean, it may have the chairman's name above the door, but Derek McInnes was fundamental to pushing that through. He continued to drive to get this training facility that will be used for generations to come and that the next manager can benefit from. And you've got to say that the end in 19 years uh, trophy heartache for Aberdeen, that, that can't be underestimated or downplayed. There might only have been one trophy, but it was still a trophy and it hadn't been one for a whole generation. I th- so I, I, I think, think you can leave Aberdeen definitely with his head held high. I would agree. I mean, I think... Sorry, the, calm on you go. No, I was just going to say, I think the legacy leaves is def- definitely a good one. And I think, obviously, it's, it's, kind of, it's only happened yesterday, so everything's a bit... Not raw, but you know what I mean? It's kind of people reacting to it instantly. I think if you'd look in a year's time or five years' time at the Derek McInnes era, it will be remembered favourably by everyone that watches Aberdeen, really, because it's been an era of consistency and good finishes and trying to win cups, delivering that one cup and being in Europe. I think the other legacy... um, on a slightly different note, is the difficulty, the players he's worked with and the difficulty he's had in replacing them. Because if you look, I know a couple of the names I'm about to throw out have subsequently come back to the club, but if you look at the players he's lost over his tenure, Kenny McLean, Graham Shinney, Ryan Jack, Johnny Hayes, Adam Rooney, Niall McGinn, Ash Taylor, Gary Mackay, Stephen, Scott McKenna, Sam Cosgrove, and as these players, year after year, have left Aberdeen, it's become more and more difficult for Derek McInnes and for Aberdeen to bring in replacements a similar uh, of the same quality as those players that have left. And in some cases, I think with Graham Shinney, he even said, you know, it, can, it wasn't really possible to get a player that could fill the one player who could fill the mould in the same way so I think that as well, in terms of his legacy, should be remembered as perhaps one of the reasons for the decline towards the end is it has been very challenging to try and replace the quality that, that has left Pataudry over the years. 
Excellent. And that should move us on nicely to part three of the podcast, where we'll discuss what's ahead for Aberdeen and where they find themselves going in the next few years. Part three of the Northern Gold podcast. Um, we're now going to look at where Aberdeen find themselves as a club and maybe who we would like to see in the managerial hot seat. We've seen a number of names kind of linked linked to the vacancy, as you always do in the aftermath of a, a decision like this. Names like Stephen Glass, who obviously has the Atlanta and Aberdeen connection between the two clubs. Neil Lennon, who was recently a Celtic manager and has also been in charge of Hibs. Jim Goodwin, who's signed a new deal recently with St Mirren, has also been a name linked with the job. I mean, guys, first of all, who would you like to see and what kind of characteristics you feel they need to have? I would like to see Neil Lennon get just because he's got such a, uh, an established track record of bringing success to a club in the Premiership and not just with the old firm. I mean, he won the championship title with Hibs. Yeah, I think he's he would have something to prove after the way it went at Celtic. I think he's still a hungry manager. Yeah, I mean, he could come in and seamlessly slot into that position because he knows the Premiership and Scottish football like the back of his hand. He, he would know the players. He's seen them. He's come up against them enough times. He's got a lot of uh, respect in the game. I think he would have the clout to bring in strong signings. Uh, he's got European a wealth of European experience. He could be the person that take Aberdeen to the next level in Europe although it's looking like he'll be in the conference next season uh, so I, I would go for Lennon might not be a popular choice with Aberdeen fans due to the Celtic link but I'm sure if he came if he did come in and he started winning games people soon forget about club affiliations and where you've been previously if you're starting if you're delivering success so for me I would go Lennon Although I'd also like to say, I mean, every time as a managerial position come up, it seems to be like this small sort of pool of candidates that are thrown into the hat. But I mean, there's a whole world of potential managers out there. Might be refreshing for Aberdeen just to <laughs> take a gamble. And go for someone that no one's heard of, maybe an overseas manager, just shake it up a bit. I mean, it's not just Scottish managers or managers connected with Scotland. Maybe look further afield. I also think Neil Lennon could do a good job as Aberdeen manager, but I do think there's a number of question marks around potentially bringing him in. One is how much he still wants to continue in management. I think if you look at the way, I mean, it ended badly for him or ended abruptly at Hibs. And if you look at the way things have dragged on at Celtic this season, I'm not sure, you know, it's pretty quickly after he's obviously left Celtic things. I'm not sure how quickly he's, you know, wanting to come back into management. I think... Derek Adams is someone that could do a good job for Aberdeen. He's not been sort of disrespectful, but he's done well 
with clubs that you would probably say are smaller in stature. Aberdeen. I mean, certainly his current club, Morecambe, he's sort of taken them from potentially being relegated out of the Football League to looking to get promoted out of League 2, and he's took Plymouth up, took Ross County up. So I think he could be a good manager, but again, it depends where Aberdeen want to go. I mean, Jim Goodwin's one that's doing well in Scotland, and it would be a kind of step up for him again, potentially. I do think it's interesting to see what direction they will go down because the candidates we are speaking about are people that know the Scottish game or know the British game very well but Dave Cormack and with this partnership with Atlanta might feel he wants to go for I suppose an, an unknown as Sean said and that's I mean that could work. That could. I don't have a name that I would throw out there and say that's your man from overseas to go and get. But I do think that whoever it is, there's a pressure to come in and do well early because the expectation level has been set by Derek McInnes now again. And it's like if the next manager comes in. What are you looking for from them? Ultimately, it's to do better than Derek McInnes. That's why the change has been made. And doing better than Derek McInnes is finishing third at least in the Premiership season in, season out, and winning multiple trophies in the cut and trying to get go further in Europe. I know the European structure is changing, but that's ultimately what Aberdeen are looking for from the next manager. So it's you know whoever comes in, it's a big task for them and the pressure is ultimately now on Dave Cormack to make the right appointment because in many ways moving on Derek McInnes and Tony Doherty is the easy but one name I would throw out there uh, Sean Maloney has a fair bit of experience as a coach now working with the best international team in the world in Belgium is from Aberdeen originally not that that makes any difference but he's obviously hasn't been a manager before and he's a young coach, but somebody like Sean Maloney potentially with a technical director or a sporting director above him, a more experienced head, is something I do think might be an attractive option for Aberdeen. The other thing, I know I'm going on again, but the other name that we'll probably mention, Stephen Glass obviously has the links and that I think he would be a big gamble for Aberdeen. I know his relationship, he seems to have a good relationship with Dave Cormack and the clubs obviously have a link up, but his lack of, I know I've just put out Sean Maloney, so I'm probably contradicting myself, but his lack of managerial experience really would be a, ga- a big gamble for Aberdeen if they were to appoint him as manager, in my opinion. I think, thing is whoever eventually gets the managerial position like Callum said I mean they're going to have to deliver success and deliver it quickly and success will be delivering trophies and trying to finish above that third spot and I mean you can't do that unless you've got financial backing from the board and it's going to be difficult with the way the coronavirus pandemic has hit finances at clubs. And what happens if the manager comes in and say in a season doesn't deliver 
So if they finish fourth or fifth, what happens? Do they then change the manager again? And do we go back to this sort of managerial merry-go-round that we experienced in like the 90s and the, the 2000s where a manager comes in every few seasons and there's no real continuity? Uh, that's my concern. I guess the kind of the, obviously the ultimate uh, kind of re- decision now has to be the has to be the right one, and maybe that is why the the board and and Dave Cormack are, are taking the time to try and make sure it is such a such the, a correct appointment. I suppose that kind of rounds off things nicely for today's episode of Northern Goal. Uh, for fans of our other clubs in the north, don't worry, we haven't forgotten about you. There will be a second episode of Northern Goal later this week to give your clubs the focus they deserve. And for you guys, thank you to Callum and, and Sean for, for joining us today for our epic rundown of the last eight years. Thank no you. bother. If you've got anything you'd like to ask us or want to get in touch, as always, email northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. If you enjoyed listening to the podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And as always, stay safe and hope to see you soon. Hope you loved the episode, and if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.